It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome, everybody. I'm, I'm excited. I have Terry Monroe on the show today. Terry Monroe is a founder and president of American Business Brokers and Advisors and author of the best-selling book, Hidden Wealth, The Secret to Getting Top Dollar for Your Business. I was talking to Terry uh, just a few minutes ago, and one of the things that makes Terry unique is that he's literally started and or bought, has been involved with like 40 different businesses, and as he was telling me, he's done it all, he's screwed it up all, he's, you know, he's been successful, unsuccessful, and this is the kind of guy that you can learn tons of information from, lots of lessons that we can learn from Terry. And I'm sad that we don't have enough time to spend, you know, maybe like a whole day with him because he brings that depth of knowledge. And uh, anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, please help me welcome Terry Monroe. Terry, welcome to the show. Good morning, Bert. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. You bet. I'm excited to have you here and talk about uh, two things, American business brokers and advisors. Um, and your book, uh, The Hidden Wealth, The Secret to Getting Top Dollar for Your Business. And so before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? As, as I mentioned, you were telling me that uh, you've been involved with about 40 different businesses, uh, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So maybe give us a, a, a short uh, snippet, if you will, a Reader's Digest version of, uh, you know, how you got started and, and how did you end up where you're at today? Well, thank you. I started out years ago. I had a, I started in a factory. It was a factory job, and uh, for ten years, and all I wanted to do was get out of there. And so I got into sales, and I got to working with my dad on selling oil interest, is what it started out with. And I really honed my selling skills and selling real estate and selling uh, these oil interests. And so I made a little money enough to get out of my job. And always wanted to own my own business. So my claim to fame was it's really, uh, I've learned how to, how to be successful. It's really, there's only two things. And that is I was either in the right place at the right time or uh, I thought I was lucky. And that's really what it was. I had minimal competition. Those two things, right place, right time, minimal competition. I got into the video rental business in 1983 prior to Blockbuster. And every store we opened, they were profitable. So now all of a sudden I'm making money, didn't know what I was doing. And that's where I was here again, didn't have any competition. And so from that, I got into the restaurant business. I, I think I must have, you know, I, I think I must have really bumped my head hard that time. Uh, built restaurants, got into those. But the video business uh, really took off, ended up with about 155 stores, took it public, sold it off. And then I went back, like I said, into the restaurant business. And then for a long time, Bert, I had a disease. And I think I pretty well got it under control. It was called dealitis. I couldn't pass up a deal. <laughs> and if these people weren't going to uh, buy this business, crap, I'd buy it, you know. So I had radio stations, television stations, motels, uh, gas stations, liquor stores, uh, even a ladies' clothing store. I mean, I, was, I had disease bad. Yeah. And so, and then I discovered, and this is where the ego part comes in. After a while, I discovered I'm really not a very good operator. I thought I was. 
but what I was really good at was finding opportunities, being creative on how to structure them, and so that buyers and sellers can come together and taking it to the next level. So then I thought, now I didn't even know there was such thing as a business broker. Never heard of it. And then when I discovered that, I, I immersed myself into it. And what I, like I said, what I really got good at was helping these people because, and that's where the book came in, uh, because what people don't realize is that there is a process to this. And I wrote the book to help people because if I can get them, if they're even thinking about 12 to 24 months before they sell, if I can get a hold of them then and educate them, it's an educational process. Then they can learn that there is a process. They can get their company ready to go in their business, and they can sell it on top. Uh, I've got jillions of stories about uh, things that I've done that I've screwed them up, how I worked with uh, that one deal. I had Arthur Anderson come in to do our books, and I had the books that screwed up. It took $400,000 just to fix the books. So that was a very expensive tuition. Since then, I know accounting very well. Uh, <laughs> And I'm not going to tell you how much I spent to get my law degree, but it, <laughs> it just goes on and on and on, and you can't get this stuff up. And But my heart goes out for these people, that especially now, with I'm a baby boomer, and with baby boomers, and this pandemics came upon people, and people have significant life-impacting events. I yeah. call it the, the dismal Ds, death, disease, divorce, partnership dissolution, disruption of the business. And they don't know what to do. And there's no guidebook. That's why I wrote it. There was no guidebook out there to really give them an idea. Is they always say, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters? I mean, they don't know. They're in trouble. And so that's what the whole purpose is. And so now that you're right, I, I just have a blast talking about this stuff and helping people to, to show them what to do and what not to do. And um, I've got case studies. People have left millions and millions of dollars on the table because they didn't start soon enough and didn't know what they were doing and they were just in a big hurry. Happened just recently. Sure, sure. Well, you know, it's amazing. Uh, as you said, it, it happens uh, It happens quite often. Uh, we're, because we're in a hurry, we're not prepared. We're, whatever the pressure that we're experiencing, whether real or in our heads, we all leave money on the table, right? We, we don't take the time to do the deal as good as we can do it. And, and one of the things that's interesting to me in your book, you talk about understanding why you're selling your business. Yes. And you know, what, what's interesting is most people will, will look at you, well, I'm selling the business because you know, I want to retire or, or, or I want the money or whatever, whatever. And, and this is so important because one of the things that came to mind is that uh, I had a family member who was offered, I think like 12 or $15 million for his business. And I kept asking him exactly that question. Why do you want to sell? And he couldn't answer. He couldn't articulate why he wanted to sell. And, and I said, are you going to go traveling? Are you, you know, and are, are you going to go into another business? And he says, I don't think so. I think I'm just going to take the money and, and hang out. I said, I said, if you don't know why you're selling, you're not going to sell. And, and essentially, that's what happened. And, and so he ended up not selling. Uh, and, and he kept the business because, you know, for a lot of us, especially here, I think, in America or in, in Western culture, we validate our existence a lot through our business. And, and, you know, it's very common to say, hey, you know, Terry, what do you do? Well, I do this. Bert, what do you do? I do this. This is who I am. I'm a, I'm a business broker or I'm an entrepreneur or I'm a dentist or a ditch digger or whatever. And 
you know, with, without a job or without a business, a big chunk of our identity is eliminated. It's one of the big reasons people don't sell. I talk about the rule of 72 and people in finance know what that is. But generally, and I'm generalizing here, if a man is still in business at the age of 72, he will die with the business. Interesting. Because, because the business has became his idea, identity. He's sure. the gas station guy. He's the pizza guy. He's the computer guy. And I've actually had guys tell me, they admit it. So well, I can't sell this. It's my identity. I'm the yep. poker guy. It, it's unbelievable. Uh, but back to your first point, that's the first thing I start out with if somebody talks to me about selling. Why? Why are you wanting to do this? I mean, if you don't have a, a good why, you can't go into this being half pregnant. You can't be saying, well, if you know somebody's going to give me the right amount of money. No. And I talk about that in the book. You know, maybe you need to you say, well, I'm going to travel. OK, take off for 30 days and get a taste of this. You know, go to if you want to be in Florida and fish for 30 days, try it. And that, that's, a, that's sort of a mini vacation. This is going to be a taste of what your uh, retirement is going to look like. A lot of people, like I had a guy tell me the other day, he said, you know, this pandemic thing, he said, you're getting a taste of what retirement's like. And I said, well, I don't think I like that. You know, I want to get back to work. Um, but you're right, you're right, Bert. You, you got to know what you're doing and it's, if you want to do this or not. Without a why, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, you know what? And it's such a simple thing. Uh, you know, and that's the you know, almost the same kind of question you want to ask when you're starting a business. Why? Well, because I want to help people do this or that, right? And yeah. and, and if you cannot articulate a clear why uh, for whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, losing weight, gaining weight, uh, you know, getting married, whatever, it doesn't work. Or, or it might work short term, but it's going to be very dissatisfying uh, very quickly because Again, it's such a simple thing, but without a strong why, it just doesn't make sense to do anything. Right. you got to have the desire. If you don't have the desire, then it'll never happen. So that's the first thing, and then you just work the process from there. But they, they generally don't have a clue. They just get all excited and say, okay. Like I said, I, don't, I really feel bad the ones that you know, have the significant life impacting events, which we all do. But there is a process to this. I've got guys that – one guy called me and it was a large business. It was in the $70 million business. And he said, you know, after, it took me a year just to get his books and records in order. And after that, he said, well, I don't know if I want to sell. He said, you know, you've got me making so much money now. I don't think I want to sell the place. But we ended up selling. But they, they, they're so busy being operators, running the business as what they should be doing. They don't know there's a process. You do this, this, and this, and this. And then the final outcome is then you go out the door. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I think I think that back to, you know, looking at your story, for example, uh, it, it is a lot of fun being, for lack of better terms, a serial entrepreneur and knowing whether you're a good operator or not. And and even if you are a good operator, is that going to be the best use of your time? Because when you look mm -hmm. at, you know, let's say somebody like a Mark Cuban who, you know, uh, who operates or is involved in whatever it is, 30, 40 different businesses, you know, He's not in there operating them. He's yeah. in there, you know, helping. He's strategizing. He's giving advice. The same thing with Warren Buffett. I mean, if you look at all the businesses that Warren Buffett has bought, the first thing he does is he says, you know, or one of the criterias I should say for buying a business is that it that it does have good operators, good management in place. And yes. you know, and and. Um, uh, we were at a shareholders meeting with Warren Buffett, and he talked about not only am I looking for a good operators in place, 
but what is the strategy for succession? Because, you know, you might have somebody who's, who's awesome at running the business and he might be 50 or 60 years old, or she might be 50 or 60 years old. And, and they may, you know, they may be getting ready to retire. They may be getting ready, you know, or somebody passes away unexpectedly. Backup plan. And so I think that if it's in your blood, it's a lot of fun being involved in business. But again, it, it depends on what you really enjoy. Are, do you want to be in your business or do you, you know, or do you want to work on your business? It's completely different strategies. And, 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 you know, one of the things I love about kind of what you're doing as a business broker is that you get to kind of sample all these different businesses and, and help them. I mean, you know, it's, it's very rewarding to be able to, uh, what do you call it, look at somebody's business and, and tweak it just a little bit yeah. and have them get some really, you know, massive results. So I, I think that as a business broker, you get the best of both worlds. There's a number of people, people don't realize they don't want to talk to a business broker, but they get so much information and so much experience. But there's a lot of people I, I talk to and tell them, don't sell. You're not ready to sell. The business isn't ready to sell. Don't sell it. And they look at me at their mouth hanging open and say, well, I, I thought you were here to sell it. No, I'm turning you down because you're not ready. That's the advising part of that. You know, if, okay, you think you want to sell. All right, that's great. Now let's take the stand back and take a look at this thing and find out. You really do. You don't have to. Then the people always ask me, when is the best time to sell a business? Well, when it's doing good. That's the best time to sell it. You don't want to sell it when you're doing crappy. I mean, they go, well, I'm doing really good. I'm making a lot of money. Well, that's right. That's It's, it's, it's a trend. They're buying a cash flow. And, and they don't they don't understand. <laughs> oh. And it's funny you say that because right now, might be a good time for a lot of businesses to be bought. Not, not a great time to be selling because a lot of businesses are hurting, but unfortunately this might be a great time for the right person or, or persons to go out there and accumulate a couple of businesses because so many businesses are hurting. Right. And you and I were talking about this earlier, you know, that there is, you know, there, there's the other game of business that, 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 where a lot of people don't understand, you know, you could take a business that has no assets that doesn't make a profit, but you know, they're cash flowing. They have two or three or $4 million in sales. Uh, and you can take a company like that public, even though maybe on paper, it's still pretty ugly. And you know, that's a different level of business that uh, the average person doesn't ever get to see or really understand. It's a, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's it's why Wall Street has such a bad reputation because they do take a lot of it. It's an amazing thing. And uh, again, this is what separates an operator from a strategist because a strategist can say, you know what, I'm going to accumulate three or four or five businesses that are in the same category and, and, and hope to create a big business that maybe either A, it'll, I can take it public or B, it's just a big business that, that actually the cash flows better and I can scale the, uh, we call it, uh, take advantage of the, of the scales of, of economics there. Uh, you know, so there's just so many things that you can do with a business or with business. If you have, if you have the knowledge, if you have number, the courage to number one, get in the game, but to back up your question right now is the best time in the world to be a seller. And it's the greatest time in the world to be a buyer. And I'll tell you why yes. because to be a seller 
Money is cheap and it's never going to be this cheap again. When money's cheap, it increases the valuation. So they're going to get more for their business now than they ever was before because it's just like buying a house. If I get a lower interest rate, I can buy a bigger house. So the same thing is applying to businesses. And it's never been a better time to be a buyer because money's so cheap, they can get a better business. Right now, there's nothing for sale. However, this is where it comes in. As I said, look at myself. I'm a baby boomer, okay? There's 10,000 baby boomers retiring a day. And I was concerned about this. There were so many of them that were retiring that were getting out of business. I was afraid there wouldn't be enough buyers to buy all these businesses. So we got two situations going on here. Number one, baby boomers want to get out. They don't plan. They decide they want to get out. This is their retirement. So they need to be selling. Great time to be selling. Buyers, we just had a ton of people lose their jobs. Now, we're not talking about just working at McDonald's and restaurants. We're talking about airline jobs, uh, office jobs, white-collar jobs. Now, those jobs aren't coming back. So what are their options? They're, they stay unemployed for a while or buy themselves a job, which is nothing wrong with that. We all do that, doctors, dentists. We all buy ourselves jobs. Now's the time to be buying a business. And to your point, Bert, you're exactly right. You take buy a business that an old baby boomer owns, I talk to these guys all the time. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Oh, I'm tired. Jeez, I don't want to do that. You know, good lands. You can grab that business if you got your 40 years old. You got energy. You start doing the marketing. You start using the social media, and you just you got a platform, and you just head for the stars. It is just. I'd be buying them again too if I, you know, if I didn't have my ADD under control and I was 20 years younger. <laughs> well, you know what? It, it, to your point, uh, so. Um it's the Ty Lopez uh, who's uh, who's out there buying. He's telling everybody to look for these uh, brick and mortar companies that have established businesses. He bought. He just bought Pier One, and he bought Dress Barn, and he bought another one. I can't remember, but he, he's buying these businesses that are long established businesses. He is. Um, they're they're closing the stores anyway, so he's not going to keep the stores open. But he's taking over the most important asset, which is the customer list, the the uh, the brand equity, the goodwill. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he's just he's just opening up an e-commerce store because even though, for instance, Pier One is a great example. Even though it's uh, the information is out there that Pier One is closing all of their stores, not everybody's going to hear that, and people are still going to go PierOne.com. Yes. And they're going to buy product and, and probably not even realize that ownership has changed hands, that that the stores are closed uh, or anything like that. Because we have become a society of online shoppers. And back to this pandemic, the pandemic has made that even, uh, what do you call it, uh, more of a, has forced that even more than ever before. That's why Amazon stocks almost doubled in the last six months. That's, and, and like you said, the, 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 he, he buys Pier 1, he gets brand equity, he gets a customer base, and he's now he's really driving it online because since the pandemic started, remember, and I was thinking about this this morning, it takes 21 days to form a habit. You have changed people's habits. You've changed their habits of how they eat, go out for entertainment. You change their habits on how they shop. All this, so now just this, they get, they're starting ghost kitchens for restaurants. Well, who would have thought of that? So, so now the double drive-thrus are coming back. Uh, the seating, anything with seating is hurting. This, so if you stand back and look at the business model, 
Uh, I think I, I, I subscribe to Restaurant News just so I can get a flavor of what's going on over there. Papa John's, Domino's, these guys, they're, they're going through the roof. But now is a perfect time to be getting into business because the whole model has shifted. And you can take, just like you said, Bert, uh, an older concept and take it to the next level. So let me ask you this, because I bet you get this question all the time. Uh, and you and I talked about this uh, uh, before the show started. Is it better to start a business or is it better to buy a business? Give me your thoughts. Definitely better to buy a business. I've Why? done both because when you start them, even if uh, there's, I, I put it in three different layers. Number one is the entrepreneur that starts. It's one of the hardest things in the world you ever do, start a business. Because you're making it up as you go. I'm talking about even your, your bookkeeping, your marketing, uh, and you got a concept that you think will work. And it may, but it, everything takes twice as long as it should. That's one concept. Second concept, if you want to be a miniature entrepreneur, a mini entrepreneur, you buy a franchise. Okay? Franchise, they've got a proven product, a proven concept. And basically, if you don't monkey with the secret sauce, it'll work. If you follow it, I've owned 10, 10 different franchises, and I used to be a franchisor. So I understand that concept, too. And then the third thing is to buy an up-and-running business. And almost all of these have got something that they've really gotten tired. The, the owners, they, they've gotten just lazy and they don't really do much of anything. Uh, so they're just riding that horse and you can slide in and let them slide out and take off and go to the next level. But the day you buy a business, as I mentioned earlier, everybody's talking, you've got cash flow. I've, I started an Arby's restaurant. For five years, I lost money. It, it was it was almost sucked me dry, and then finally started making money. It was a great concept, bad location, <laughs> wrong place. So yes, buy a business. That's that tuition again. We talk about paying tuition. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so you bought an Arby's franchise, and it was a bad location, and that's why it took five years. As opposed to if it would have been a good location, it would have taken how long to make a profit? I've been making a profit day one because I wouldn't ran my pro forma. I knew. If, if Bert owned the business and Bert was paying himself $100,000 a year, then I know that hundred's mine already going in. Sure, sure. yeah. So, that's true. Yeah, you're right, yeah. So you took over an existing Arby's? No, I, I did both. I built one scratch, and it was um, took five years to make money. And then I bought one, and we made money the first month. So, you know, a little that's note funny. to sell what to do here. Buy a profitable business. <laughs> well, you know what? And, 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 and here's, again, there's always a little, you know, exception to that rule. Uh, you know, if you're starting, let's say something that's new, you have no choice. I mean, if, if you're Steve Jobs, you're not going to be able to buy an Apple computer company because it didn't exist. But other than that, I agree with you. It's always better to buy a business because it's cash flowing immediately. You're going to save yourself a lot of headaches. And, if you're lucky enough to be able to say, hey, I know how to expand this business. These guys have no online presence, as an example. Yeah. Or these guys have, uh, you know, I remember years ago, uh, when I say years ago, 20 years ago, uh, I helped uh, I helped uh, a client take over a chain of health clubs. And they were spending like $50,000 a month on a newsletter. And it's like, that was the, one of the first things that we said, hey, if we cut that newsletter out, because... Barely anybody was reading it, but they still were putting it out there. If we cut out just that alone, it'll it'll almost pay, you know, it'll it'll cover 
uh, you know, X amount of expenses. And so we found, I think we, by the time we took over the, it was like four or five, maybe six, uh, uh, what do you call it, units, we had found enough cost saving that it would pay for itself. And so the client bought it. He was happy. We instigated, we initiated these cost saving measures and it was making profit, I think, within three months, which is awesome. Business owners get life a day ago. They do. And you hear it all the time. Well, why are you doing it? Because that's the way we've always done it. Dumbest answer in the world. Yeah. You know? So even when I come in from the outside, I'm like you. I'm scrutinizing the P&Ls. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Well, I don't, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? It's your business. This is your livelihood. You know, what, what are so many of them that have bad financials that, and I was guilty of this in the beginning. I, I First business I ever started, I was making money and didn't know it. I had to ask my attorney, hey, what's this say here? He said, my God, you're making more money than I can believe. I said, show me. I didn't have any idea. But you, you got to learn this. <laughs> you can't make these stories up. <laughs> well, and I can just see your attorney going, well, you're making a lot of money. I got to increase my rates. <laughs> yeah, he bought into the business. <laughs> he bought a piece of the business. He became a partner after that because I, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I just knew what I was doing. I was an operator. Right. And, what, what, and that brings up kind of a very valid point. It, you know, sometimes giving away a little bit of equity and getting somebody in that's, that is proficient in an area that you're not somebody that you trust, man, that is, that, that, all, that almost becomes priceless to me. I'd rather, ha I'd rather give away, you know, a bunch of equity and have a team versus, you know, keeping it all myself and not know what I'm doing and, and just driving myself crazy. There's plenty of money there for everybody. The only caveat I'm going to give to them, I've wrote articles about this is if you're going to have partners, make sure you get a buy sell agreement. Because when we become partners, I don't care, especially if it's relatives, friends, everybody's having a love fest when you first become partners. And then it's something somebody you know, didn't pull in their weight or somebody gets tired. I've always said, you know, if Bert and I go in business together and uh, we need to buy a sell agreement because something happens to Bert, I didn't go in business with his wife. I went in business with Bert. Same thing with myself, you know, so you got to make sure that you can get rid of me and take over this deal. But that's my only caveat to that. But you're exactly right. There's so many other people that are educated in different areas of this. One may be really good at marketing. Maybe one's good at social media. Another one's good at sales. And it's all sales. Definitely. Yeah. All yeah. Absolutely. It, it, is, it, it is all sales and marketing. I mean, you, you know, to me, a great example of that is uh, Microsoft. You know, for years, uh, people would tell you, and, and we've all experienced, you know, let's say Internet Explorer, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of Microsoft products that are that are not very good. But because they were so good at their marketing, they were so good at selling that they you couldn't get away from Microsoft and they dominated. I think they at one point, somebody said they had like 95 percent share yeah. of the market. How are you going to compete with that? And, you know, and so there's a lot of techies out there that would tell you Linux is better. Who? What's a Linux? And, and so, you know, Linux finally, you know, eaten away a little bit. I mean, they they might have five or ten percent of the market and some really very techy people uh, will tell you that Linux is still better. It's a more stable platform. I'm already asleep. I can't hear what you're saying. Microsoft still has you know, 90 percent of the market or 85 percent of the market. And, and, I, and I remember 
again, this is many years ago. I was reading uh, something in, uh, I think it was Forbes or maybe the Wall Street Journal where, where Microsoft had literally billions and billions of dollars in cash. And there was a whole department yes. dedicated to getting a 2% return on that cash, which 2% is nothing. But when you have billions of it, it's incredibly good. And they, they had exceeded, uh, they, they, were, they had become like the ninth biggest economy in the world because they had so much cash flow. And, and of course, that's an extreme example. But bottom line, everything is marketing and sales, period. It, it, it's all top line. If I would call my stores, like I said, I was running 150 stores. If I called you and you as a manager, I'd ask you what your sales was. And if you didn't know it, you, you, there was something wrong because without the sales, you know, the rest of it didn't make any difference because I can only cut my expenses so much. I got my hard costs and I cut the expenses to a certain point. After that, I got to have sales and there's no limit to what I can do on sales. So that's my number one priority, sales, sales, sales. Absolutely. Because you can, you know, even, even if you cost, even if you cut, which you can't do, even if you cut your cost to zero, you still, you know, you're not going to grow your company that way. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to scale because you have no cost. It's going to be all marketing. I want to go back and talk about this because this is one of the big mistakes that I've made. Unfortunately, I've made it more than once. Uh, and that is you're, you're looking at your P&L and you're saying, hey, I've lost, you know, my sales are going down. That's OK. It'll get better next month. It'll get better next month. It'll get better next month. You know, there's this thing. And then this is something I learned from my brother. He was so good at managing by the numbers. If his sales dipped a little bit, he would let people go immediately. He didn't wait for the next month. He he would let people go immediately and then hire back next month or whatever. But he was base he was really good at keeping those numbers forefront. And if he wanted to maintain a certain profit margin, anytime you know he would hire and fire depending on those on those numbers. And so I want to ask you this question: you know how do, you know how can I as an entrepreneur? Uh, get away from, I guess, BSing myself and, and living in denial, because I think that's one of the problems, you know, besides deal-itis, this living in denial is one of the problems that a lot of entrepreneurs have. Any advice on that? That's one of the dismal Bs, denial. <laughs> <laughs> denial and delusional. <laughs> because we, we get to drink in our own Kool-Aid and we get to believe in this stuff. And we say, well, yeah, it'll get better next month. It'll get better next month. Well, it, it, you got to stand back and look at this thing. It's not going to get any better. Uh, and I have to do it in all these different businesses I work with. You know, it's trending in the wrong direction. What's happened globally? You know, I got in the, I was in the video rental business. I was in it for years, sold out. And everybody said, aren't you so lucky? Well, you know, I did that years ago, but you can see it now. What is the future? And this is the key on that, too. Bert. It's not hard to look out one or three years, even maybe five. But if you can put out 10 years and then work your way backwards, it makes a lot of sense. Then you know, that's what the Warren Buffetts of the world, the people that are ultra successful have a long horizon and they plan on staying in this for a long time. So we've we just been hit with the pandemic. Model has changed. Nobody did anything wrong. These people have lost their jobs. They got to remember that nobody did anything wrong, but the model has changed. So now I do not want to be delusional that, okay, my, I'm going to open my restaurant up again now, and I've only got 50% seating. It'll be okay. My customers will come back. No, your hard costs are still the same. Your labor costs are still the same. 
you built this business model in 80% efficiency, you can't make it on 50. So you know, don't ride that horse right into the ground. That's what a lot of these people do. You got to be realistic about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so interestingly enough, since you brought up the restaurant model, I, I, I also want to talk about this. One of the things that entrepreneurs have a severely hard with is raising their prices or changing their prices. Right. And, and so uh, any advice? I mean, because to me, if you're going to if you're going to open up your restaurant knowing that you're running at 50 percent capacity, you you have to raise your prices just to stay even and even then it may not even work so any advice on getting getting entrepreneurs or business owners to raise their prices yeah, absolutely absolutely it's called price elasticity uh yes if you don't do not ask your employees because i used to ask my employees you know we're thinking about raising the price and oh my god they didn't want to face the public and listen to the public gripe and complain so whenever i'd raise my prices then I would call one of my stores and I'd say, or they, they'd be, excuse me, they'd call in, they'd say, well, everybody's complaining, you raise the prices. So being analytical as I was, I'd call a store and say, I understand everybody down there is complaining. Yes. Well, how many people complain? Three. Hmm. Let me see. We serviced 222 customers yesterday and three of them complained. So that's everybody. Is that what you're telling me? So it, you run by the numbers on that. So price elasticity, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Bert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta move the price up. I would rather go broke charging too much. But lot and people do just the opposite. They say, okay, we're gonna do two for one. Oh great. Now I gotta do twice as much business just to do as bad as I was doing to begin with. That's dumb. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what? And, and, and the restaurant business, just to pick on that one, um it's it's a very tough market, right? That and 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 it's got so many moving parts as opposed to, let's say, being a, a lawyer. A lawyer has a lot of price elasticity just because their costs are so different. Right. Or a consultant because they have a hard product, a physical product that could go bad as opposed to a restaurant. Sooner or later, you know, that food, if they don't sell it, they just got to throw it away. It's going to go bad. That's right. And, and, and so depending on what business you're in, if you have a physical products that can expire, you're in a different business than somebody who is, let's say, selling books yeah. or selling some physical product that doesn't expire. So, you know, but I love what you're saying. I'd rather go broke charging too much than go broke not charging enough because it's the same thing. I just, you know, maybe by charging by charging too much, you'll last longer. You will. Service business, we've got two different categories. Like you said, we got the service business and you got your hard cost too. That's when the price elasticity comes in when you start raising your price. Because as long as you're creating value in the service business, you can do that. You, you can raise your price, as you should, because you create more value. If you're in the manufacturing business, which is what the restaurant business really is, I didn't realize that when I got in the restaurant business. I was used to being in just, you know, getting a product ready, put it on the shelf, ran it, here we go. And then I realized the restaurant business, I had 30-some restaurants. I'm in the manufacturing business. Now I'm worried about food poisoning on the back. And now not only... Do I have to be nice to the customer in the front end? I got to make sure it's done right in the back end. But in your your point, if I'm in manufacturing on the food, it's going to spoil and go bad. And so I got to try to estimate what I'm going to sell. Uh, I got another people who manufacture furniture. I talked to them. So they're getting all these orders and they're not selling it and they're putting it in the warehouse. Well, we don't make any money in the warehouse. So the, you, you've got to get the money out of your pro forma. You know what your food, paper, weight, what all that stuff cost is. 
Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And, and this is this is where somebody, uh, a consultant advisor, can come in and, and really help you. Um, you know, and so if you're if you're listening to this and, and you're afraid of raising your prices, uh, I'm telling you, it's not going to be as bad as you think it is. It's, it's it, a lot of it is in our head. And I like the point that you brought up. You cannot listen to your employees. They're you know, they're trying to make their job as easy as possible. Yes. Uh, sometimes you have to fire a couple of employees because they, they're not getting on board with the program. Your company is only as good as its ability to make a profit. And if you're afraid to raise your prices in order to stay in business, uh, then you're going to go out of business and your employees are going to leave you anyway. So look, just, just raise your prices. I guarantee you it's not as bad as you think. No, it isn't. And that sounds maybe sounds sort of heartless or brazen what I'm saying. The employers are employees for a reason. And they do a good yeah. job and they create value in their category. You're the owner. You're the entrepreneur. Uh, I always wanted to own my own business. Always did, you know. So I got in business and, you know, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm making money. I, I think I'm pretty doggone smart as long as everything's going good. And then when things went bad, I looked behind me. Well, there's nobody back there. Okay, big guy, what are you going to do now? The employees have options. They can go find another job. As an right. owner, you don't. And you got to remember right. that they're dependent on you for their income, but they've got more options than you do. You are stuck. So you yeah. got to make it work. Absolutely. And, and, to, and, and to your uh, point there, uh, employees, if all of a sudden they get a better offer from somebody else, <laughs> 90% of them are gone. It's just like, oh, you're going to pay me more money for the same work? Bert, see you later. Love you. Bye. It's been real. It's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. I'm going down the street. God bless them. I'm happy for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me how to run my business because the buck does stop here. I, I have a, a, a motto that I live by and I have for years. If it is to be, it is up to me. Nobody else. So I got to make it happen. That's it. I love it. I love it. We're going to end on that note. Uh, Terry, it's been a blast having you on the show. I want to uh, uh, put this up here one more time. If people want to get a hold of you or the book, they can go terrymonroe.com. The book, Hidden Wealth, The Secret to Getting Top Dollar for Your Business. I'm also going to put a link in the show note uh, in the show notes so you guys can just click there as well. And Terry, it's been a blast having you on the show. I'd love to bring you back and talk more about business. Bert, thank you. I just enjoyed it. It has really been fun. And you are a great host to talk to. Thank you so much. You bet. Everybody, thank you so much. Please share this episode with everyone you know. Uh, smash the like button, subscribe, and let's help as many people as we can by sharing this episode. So thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. We'll talk to you guys.